Chelsea made headlines yesterday when they fired head coach Thomas Tuchel. And at the time of this recording, the favorite to take over is Brighton and Hove Albion's Graham Potter. Why is that? John Muller is here to explain. From The Athletic, I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day for Thursday, September 8th. It's been an interesting 48 hours or so in Chelsea land, even more interesting than it usually is. On Tuesday, the club lost its third straight game in all competitions, 1-0 away to Dinamo Zagreb in the Champions League. And on Wednesday, the club fired head coach Thomas Tuchel, who, as you might remember, led the team to a Champions League title the season before last, not that long ago. There was a lot to analyze with that decision, what Tuchel did, what he didn't do, etc., etc., etc. But we try to look forward as best we can on this show. And with that in mind, here's this. At the time that we're recording this on Wednesday, the favorite to take over for Tuchel at Chelsea is Graham Potter, the manager of Brighton and Hove Albion. Now, the story has moved so fast that by the time you're listening to this episode, maybe this move has gone official. Maybe it's a f- it's completely fallen apart. But regardless of any of that, I think it's worth talking about. And here to explain why Chelsea would be going for Potter is none other than the athletics, analytics and tactics senior writer, John Muller. John, how are you doing? What do you think about all this, just to start off here? Well, I think it's terrible because I love watching Brighton and I want to see Potter stay there. Uh, but but yeah. it's totally understandable. You know, I've been saying for a long time that Potter deserved to move to a, to a big six club. Uh, I thought that Manchester United should have hired him uh, this summer. They didn't. This is Chelsea's big chance. I, I think it makes a lot of sense for Chelsea. Uh, and, of course, it makes a lot of sense for Potter as well. Yeah, so... Let's dive into that a little bit, because I think if somebody knew nothing else about Brighton and maybe hadn't watched them this season, they might look them up in the Premier League table right now and see six games in that the top seven in the Premier League is the big six teams that you might expect to be there. And Brighton, they're in fourth. They're behind Arsenal, Man City and Tottenham, and they're above Manchester United, Liverpool and Chelsea. So Grand Potter might be making a step up, quote unquote. Uh, what has he done right specifically at Brighton in his time there, both this season and generally sort of over, over the course of his tenure. Yeah. I mean, the, the story of what Graham Potter has done at Brighton starts on day one. He really transformed the way that that club played, uh, you know, he inherited. So, okay. A little background on Graham Potter. Uh, he sure. came from essentially like no kind of resume, got a job in the Swedish fourth division, right. Worked his way up to the Elspenskan, got into the Europa league knockout rounds. I think he beat Arsenal in Europa league. Like, he made his name in Sweden from nothing, came to Brighton, which was, you know, kind of relegation fodder in, in the Premier League. And they're playing uh, under Chris Hutton, a very kind of traditional, like long ball, counter heavy style. And Potter just changed that. He just just overnight, the team went from a long ball, uh, you know, bunker and counter team to playing modern possession soccer. Uh, and you just don't see that happen. You know, teams can make that transition gradually but the speed at which brighton did it was really remarkable uh you know they had matthew ryan the goalkeeper who had been booting it long like 94 percent of his goal kicks uh under hutton's last season was suddenly like playing short out of the back uh like 45 percent of his kicks were launched in in potter's versus and just the the way that they played was very intentionally changed um so, so the buildup became much more intentional, much more patterned uh, in this first season. And then the next two seasons were much more about like the, the press and uh, they're an excellent counter pressing side, especially against, you know, kind of less 
strong teams against stronger teams that are very pragmatic and they'll play like we saw against Manchester United a few weeks ago, kind of a, a long ball direct style. Uh, so these are kind of hallmarks of, of how Potter plays, right? He plays a possession style. He presses hard, but he's also very tactically flexible and is willing to change his approach game to game. In your view, John, based on what you've seen over the last few years, is any of that transferable to Chelsea with, uh, with their current squad? And that last part is important because, of course, Chelsea makes this change immediately after the transfer window closes. So they're kind of stuck with the personnel that they have on the field, more or less, for at least the next couple of months. And it's pretty unlikely they're going to tear it all down in January. Um, so do you think Potter will have, you know, the players that will fit that kind of style if he chooses to take that style that he brought to Brighton to Chelsea, along with him to Chelsea? Well, you know, Potter's tried a lot of different formations at Brighton, uh, but the one that he's been playing a lot lately is not too dissimilar from what Tuchel was playing at Chelsea. Um, he, he plays a 3-4-3 with a box midfield, similar to what Chelsea frequently do. Uh, mm -hmm. That said, that shape hasn't been working for Chelsea with the squad that they have available right now with N'Golo Kante injured. Uh, you know, Tuchel tried like Connor Gallagher in that double pivot. He tried Mason Mount yesterday uh, as a defensive midfielder, and that hasn't really been working out. So I think, you know, kind of the first problem for uh, for Potter in this role, if he gets it, will be to rethink like what shape really works for this team. And Tuchel famously did that on day one when he took over from Frank Lampard and he found a shape that worked for Chelsea's players much better than what they have been playing with. But then he kind of stuck with it even when he didn't yeah. have the players for it. And I think that Potter won't get stuck in that rut in the same way that Tuchel seemed to, uh, to get stuck there. Well, when you say that he, that he basically plays, you know, the same basic shape as Chelsea, obviously as an American, I'm thinking about Christian Pulisic and how one of his main struggles at Chelsea has been that there isn't really a natural role for him within that shape because he likes to play on the left as a mostly attacking winger. And those, don't really exist in the same in the way that suits Pulisic's strengths, let's say, uh, in Chelsea under Tuchel. Is that going to change for him under Potter, despite the fact that they play the same shape? Is there like a difference in role or a difference in, in tactics that could suit somebody like Pulisic or maybe one of their other uh, wingers that they've sort of cycled through uh, over the over this time? Well, one of Potter's hallmarks at Brighton has been an ability to put players into kind of unfamiliar roles and uh, and watch them excel there. He did it with uh, Pascal Gross. He did it with Kukurea. Uh, he did it with Alexis McAllister this season. Uh, you know, it's been gone from number 10 to a deep playing distributor. And, and these transitions have all worked very well. He's also been doing something interesting lately uh, where he's been playing with wingbacks who are both inverted, uh, which is not something you usually see normally. You interesting. Know, you can move yeah. your inverted wingers inside to play those kind of roles underneath the striker. And you'll play with true wingbacks to do the wide crossing. And uh, and Potter's been doing it another way where he has inverted wingbacks who will come inside freely. And it's possible to imagine Pulisic doing something like that on the left where he's able to start out wide where he likes to receive the ball, but he also has a lot of freedom to crash the box. I don't know. This is all speculation, but uh, sure. one, one thing about Potter is that, you know, he's, he's a good man manager. He gets buy-in. Uh, so he's not only like looking for the best roles for his players, but he's also able to kind of bring his players along with him when he has a vision for how he wants to play. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. It is uh, worth reminding everybody, even though I did it at the top of the show, this is speculation. We don't know. Again, Potter might be out of the running by the time you're listening to this. I just think that this possibility is really, really interesting. Um, are there any other players on Chelsea, aside from Pulisic, who we just talked about, who you think could stand to benefit from uh, Potter's appointment should that happen, uh, whether it's out wide or in the middle or up top or, or wherever? I mean, the whole attack clearly needs something to happen. Uh, ironically, sure. like the one thing that has always been a knock against Potter's Brighton is they're doing everything right in the first two thirds of the field and they can't really put it together in the final third, which has sort of been Chelsea's issue. So I don't know if Potter's the guy to fix that. I don't know, uh, you know what will happen, but Chelsea just has too much attacking talent to be as kind of toothless as they've been. And, and surely, you know, with Sterling, Havertz, with uh, hopefully Pulisic back in the rotation, uh, you know, you've got so much talent there, and, and I, I would like to see them clicking again. I also think that the midfield, uh, you know, guys like like Connor Gallagher, who has a lot of talent, but is a really peculiar player who doesn't have a natural role. Uh, it's it's yeah. going to be an interesting thing to watch a coach think about how to use him differently. Uh, Mason Mount, you know, does he come back and become sort of a more of a number eight like he started his career? Does he continue his like 10 slash hybrid winger thing that he's been doing under Tuchel? Um, I don't know. Mason, Mason Mount was really good uh, for, well, for every manager that he's had, but seems to like not have a clear role right now either. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of questions in Chelsea. It'll be fun to watch a new coach take over. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think we can both agree that, this appointment is not the type that we've seen uh, from a lot of clubs that have been in Chelsea's position. Uh, you don't often see them take uh, managers from maybe overachieving sides within the same league and and give them the reins. It's kind of cool to see that actually happen. I'm interested to see how it works out uh, once, <laughs> assuming he actually gets hired and there's something to talk about there. I'm sure we'll have you back on to talk about it. But until then, John, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Before we go, your TV guide for today, as usual, all times are Eastern, and there are a ton of games this afternoon in the Europa League and the Europa Conference League. So many, in fact, that I'm not going to read all of them because that would take forever. Just know that there are a ton of games in two windows, kicking off at 12.45 p.m. and 3 p.m. They are on Paramount Plus in the United States and DAZN in Canada. I will make two picks, though, based on very little other than vibes and interesting facts and kickoff times. First, in the Europa League at 12.45 p.m., I recommend watching Union Berlin versus Union St. Gilles. Long-time listeners to the program know that I'm a big fan of Union St. Gilles and their whole story in Belgium. They got to the edge of champ of qualifying for the Champions League, but here they are in the Europa League, which is still pretty good. They play Union Berlin, who are off to an amazing start in the Bundesliga. Once again, that's at 12.45 p.m. on Paramount+. Plus. Then at 3 p.m. in the Europa League, Lazio versus Feyenoord. These are two fairly well-known teams that, best I can tell, last played each other in the year 2000. To give you an idea of how long ago that was, Diego Simeone, Juan Verón, and Simone Inzaghi are among the players that played for Lazio that day. I believe Pavel Nedved was also on the bench. Also, for Feyenoord that day in the year 2000, Solomon Kalou's older brother played. I don't know. This is just a weird rabbit hole that I went down when I was looking up the last time these two teams played each other. Took you with me. Sorry. 
Moving along to the Europa Conference League, again, I'm not going to run down the full list of games, but here are two that I found interesting because they involve two debutants to the competition and indeed to UEFA as a whole at 12.45 p.m., Balkani versus CFR Cluj on Paramount+. Plus. Balkani is the first Kosovo side ever to reach a UEFA competition. At 3 p.m., Slovan Bratislava versus Zagris. That is on Paramount Plus once again at 3 p.m. Zalgaris is the first ever Lithuanian club to qualify for the group stages of a UEFA competition. Pretty interesting. Probably won't get a chance to see either of those teams too many times after this, unless, of course, they qualify for the knockout rounds, in which case you'll be thankful for getting on the bandwagon early. Don't forget that I told you to do so. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic. Thank you so much for listening, and happy soccer to you all.